Think of all the quarantine purchases you have made, the late-night pizza deliveries, the online trainer you ghosted after two weeks. Then there's one of the biggest purchases of the year, insurance. Americans overspend on car insurance by billions of dollars every single year, and that money could have been spent on more pizza. I'm just saying. The Zebra is the nation's leading insurance comparison site for car and home insurance. Within minutes, you can compare policies from every major provider for free, all in one independent marketplace. After a few quick questions, the Zebra pairs people with the right insurance company for them, helping everybody save time and money. You can buy online or over the phone with one of their licensed insurance agents. There's no hidden fees, no fine print. Uh, about any of your personal information at all. Uh, best of all, the Zebra has no stake in the policy that you choose. They're just there to help find the right coverage for you. So they are an independent actor. Make the uh, make insurance your smartest purchase yet. Go to thezebra.com slash Beck. That's T-H-E-Z-E-B-R-A dot com slash B-E-C-K. Thezebra.com slash Beck. And save twice. So what is going to happen in Minnesota? If you were on the jury, how would you weigh these things? Now, they're saying that if it if it's not murder, they're going to burn the city down the, to the ground. But does murder in Minnesota law mean the same thing that you think it means? What does the jury actually have to weigh? And what made a difference in the trial? And also, does the... Does all of this political pressure, does that influence the jurors? An expert on all of this in 60 seconds. The Glenn Beck Program. So Alan lives in Oklahoma, uh, and at 51, he was going into his third decade of living with back pain from an old work injury. To make matters worse, he, uh, he works for the railroad, driving trains. A job where, you know, he doesn't get to move around a lot during his on hours. And that means more stiffness, more pain. I don't know if you've tried to live with pain for a long time. I can't imagine 30 years. But uh, I, I would think that it got old about maybe year one. Anyway, he decided to try something different to see if it would work to get rid of the pain and the uh, stiffness. He said he tried relief factors a couple of weeks into the trial period, he said, I began to feel the pain and stiffness melt away. Alan got his life back. Relief factor. It has changed my life. It changed Alan's life. It might just change yours. 70% of the people who try it go on to order more. And you should know in the first three weeks. So get the trial pack. For three weeks, it's 1995, and find out if it will work for you. 800-583-84, 800-583-84, it's relieffactor.com. Andrew Branca, he is an attorney specializing in self-defense law. 
He is the founder of lawofselfdefense.com. He um, is a guest instructor in, in Quantico for uh, the FBI. Uh, he's, I mean, his, his resume is very, very long. He uh, recently won the UC Berkeley Law School debate on Stand Your Ground, uh, which Berkeley? Really? Uh, we wanted to talk to him about what was going on uh, in Minnesota, what is coming, what happened during the trial, should we know, and what's happening perhaps in the jury room, what are they wrestling with now? Andrew, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm very pleased to be here. Can you hear me okay, Glenn? I can, I can. Um, so let's, let's start with the charges that uh, Chauvin has been charged with, because murder, it seems... In Minnesota, murder in the third degree and murder in the second degree are different in Minnesota. Is that right? They are, yes. So uh, Minnesota uses the label murder in a way that other states don't. In other states, a murder is an intentional killing. Uh, Chauvin's not been charged with any intentional killing, whatever. been charged with, in effect, reckless killing. So in most states, these would be called manslaughter or reckless homicide. They would not normally be called murder. So the use of the label murder here is somewhat misleading. Okay, so why is that, first of all? Uh, Does it carry the same weight as murder, or is it like manslaughter in other states? It's like manslaughter. So these charges should be thought of as basically manslaughter charges. Uh, reckless homicide charges. And the the take-home message from this really is that it tells us that even the state itself does not believe that this was an intentional killing. If they believed that, they would have charged him with intentional murder, which they have not done. They've only charged him with reckless murder, reckless killing. So can we go over, I mean, just let's look at the charges here. Murder in the second degree while committing a felony. Uh, That's what he's charged with. What felony was he committing? The underlying felony there is third-degree assault, which is an assault that causes serious bodily injury or, of course, death. Um, And that's a felony under Minnesota law, so that's the predicate felony for the felony murder charge, what they call second-degree murder, but most states would call felony murder. Okay. Uh, So the first element is the death of George Floyd has to be proven. I think we got that one. Second element, defendant's actions were a substantial causal factor in Mr. Floyd's death. Now, this is where the medical examiner uh, kind of pulls his, some weight here because he said it did. I mean, he, he, he wrote the murder down as cause of death murder, didn't he? Well, it's more complicated than that. He actually does not say that explicitly. Uh, he says that the death occurred, the cardiopulmonary arrest occurred in the context of the police restraint. He doesn't explicitly say that the police restraint caused the cardiopulmonary arrest. He's letting other people draw that conclusion and make those statements. That's why the prosecution brought in their expert witness, uh, Lindsay Thomas, an alternative uh, forensics pathologist to interpret Dr. Baker's report, even though Dr. Baker himself came in to testify about his report. They needed someone else to make that explicit connection that Dr. Baker was unwilling to make. So wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So the coroner himself did not say he would not make the connection on the stand. No. So all he's prepared to say is that these things happened at the same time. 
Well, I mean, does that hurt the, the prosecution? I mean, I would imagine it would. Well, the prosecution recognized that weakness. I mean, obviously, they've had access to Dr. Baker from the very beginning. And if he was willing to explicitly make that statement, they needed only him. There's a reason why the prosecution brought in a great many additional medical and forensic expert witnesses, uh, frankly, to the point where um, uh, I, I think it definitely should not have been allowed because it becomes a cumulative, overwhelmingly cumulative uh, evidence being brought in on a, essentially the same argument over and over and over again. Normally, that's not permitted in court. Normally, you make your argument, you bring in a witness to testify about it, and that's it. You don't get to bring in eight people or 10 people to make effectively the same argument over and over again to the jury, which is what the prosecution did in this case. So why did the judge, why did the judge allow that? You would have to ask the judge why he would allow that. Hmm. Most, most judges in my experience would not. There's, there's a lot that this judge allowed that would simply not have been permitted in most criminal courts in my experience. But of course we've seen judges go off the rail before, right? We all, if we're of, of a certain age, we were familiar with the OJ trial and Judge Lance Ito in that case, who lost control of his courtroom. Cahill was nowhere near that bad, uh, but he certainly allowed a lot of conduct that would not have been considered permissible in most criminal courts, including Prosecutor Blackwell's uh, rebuttal closing yesterday, which was full of, uh, frankly, uh, lies, misrepresentations of the evidence, misrepresentations of the defense argument, uh, to the point where, in my opinion, and the defense made a motion for this, uh, which was denied by the judge. But in my opinion, that was pr- prosecutorial misconduct worthy of a mistrial right there and certainly of a reversal of conviction after the fact. Wow. Holy cow. Will that just set the country on fire or at least uh, Minneapolis for sure on fire? Um, I want to get to that here in, in just a second. Let's I, I just con- make I will clear. Judge Cahill denied the motion for a mistrial. So there is no mistrial. Right, I know. No, uh, I know. There were grounds for it, in my opinion. Right. Uh, but, I mean, if it if it goes back uh, for a second hearing uh, and, uh, and they reverse this verdict uh, or, you know, they, uh, you know, they, they go back later and say this is invalid. I mean, that's just going to set everything on fire. Odds of that happening, Andrew? Uh, I'm, I'm a legal professional, so I don't place those kinds of bets, okay. but there are okay. very, very solid grounds for a robust appeal in this case on, on many fronts, not just on Blackwell's closing. Okay. Uh, let me just finish up with the uh, charges and then, then we'll come back to some other things. Murder in sure. the third degree. Uh, they have to prove the death of George Floyd. Then defendant's actions were a substantial causal factor of, in Mr. Floyd's death. Um, the fact that other causes contributed to the death does not relieve the defendant of criminal liability. The defendant caused the death of George Floyd by an intentional act that was eminently dangerous to other persons. Uh, but w- if, is the kneeling on the back, is that uh, a, a legal procedure in, in Minnesota or was it at the time? Well, that's a matter of factual dispute. So certainly the uh, Minneapolis Police Department trains its officers to use their knee on the back and neck of suspects, uh, but mostly for the purposes of getting them handcuffed. Whether you're allowed to keep your knee there is ambiguous. They don't tell you you can't, but they don't explicitly train you to do it 
either. That's why you always heard the prosecutors repeat over and over again, this was not a trained technique. And that's true for how long it was kept in place. But just because it's not trained doesn't mean it's not permitted or doesn't mean that it's unlawful. So that's where we get into the ambiguity of whether Chauvin should have known, for example, that that conduct was criminal conduct. He'd never been told he can't do that. Okay, so in the um, in murder in the third degree, he he doesn't have to intend to cause the death and he he may not have been specifically directed at the particular person whose death occurred. What does that mean? Well, traditionally, third degree murder under Minnesota law meant that you were not creating a threat to some specific individual in particular but a threat to people generally. So the example I would use is drunk driving. You're drunk, you get in your car, you drive down the road. You're not trying to hit anybody in particular, but you are creating a danger to the public generally. And then if you do cause injury, you're obviously responsible for that injury. That would be under third degree murder if you'd killed someone while drunk driving. It used to not apply if you were creating a danger only to a single individual. It was, it was required that it was a group threat, a general threat, but the, the Minnesota appellate courts recently rewrote that legal uh-huh. doctrine uh, so that it can now apply to even a threat to only a single individual. That's why when uh, Chauvin was originally charged with third degree, the judge in the case threw it out. He says, no, this is not a case where there's a general threat. But then the Court of Appeals changed the law. The prosecution came back and the third degree murder charge was reinstated. Wow. Uh, All right. And the last one is manslaughter in the second degree. Defendant caused the death of George Floyd by culpable negligence. Um, Defendant created an unreasonable risk, consciously took a chance of causing death or great bodily harm. Defendant may not have intended uh, for his conduct to be harmful. This seems like that one's easy to hit out of the park. When we that's a very. Yeah. When we come back, hang on. I want you to respond to that. uh, The manslaughter and then. Tell me if you think that they have proven these, all three of these, beyond a reasonable doubt, where the strengths and weaknesses are in the case. When we come back in 60 seconds. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. All right, the Federal Reserve has pinky sworn that they are committed to keeping funds uh, the rate low for the next two years. I mean, what more assurance do you need? They also said we would never debase the dollar. And, well, they didn't pinky swear on that one. But this one, they're going to... Look, if you don't trust the Fed any further than you can throw them, and that's a lot of people, maybe it's time to give a call to the people you can trust who are actually interested in making sure that your best financial interests are served. And that's the mortgage consultants over at American Financing. For over two decades, American Financing has been helping people just like you make sure that their financial lives are on track. So whether it's a mortgage refi so you can get lower interest rates or maybe a consolidation loan to get the stupid credit card companies off your back, American Financing is there to help. There's never going to be any pressure, no upfront or hidden fees, just the best possible possible customer service. They work for you. It's American Financing at 800-906-2440, 800-906-2440, AmericanFinancing.net. 10 seconds, station ID. Mm-hmm. 
Andrew Branca is the founder of lawofselfdefense.com, and uh, we welcome him back to the program. We're just going over the charges over the last few minutes. So let's let's talk about all three of these charges and and where you think uh, they made the case or missed making the case. Let's start with murder in the second degree. Murder in the second degree, that's the felony murder charge. It has to be predicated on the whether or not he committed a third-degree assault. Um, and frankly, it's open to factual interpretation whether or not you think he committed an assault. Do you think that use of force was unauthorized under the circumstances? I expect that, in fact, Chauvin and other officers in the MPD have been using that exact same technique on suspects their entire careers, and nobody has ever died as a result. I expect that no one was more surprised when Floyd died than Chauvin was. Mm-hmm. That's why he has not been charged with an intentional killing. Even the prosecutors don't believe he believed that he was killing George Floyd. If they thought that was the case, they would have charged him simply with straight up intentional murder instead of these variety of reckless killing charges. So the question so- becomes, was his restraint of Floyd criminally reckless did he know he was creating a risk of death and did it anyway that's really the basis for example of the manslaughter charge and do you think that the prosecution made the case or do they even need to that that you know they played the video over and over again and it's excruciating to watch i mean i don't think there's a single american watching that that isn't emotionally filled with horror on what's going on does he have a chance of 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 anybody actually saying no that that wasn't that wasn't uh, a felony in the third degree well if the if the argument had been made more effectively frankly i think it, he would be in a better position now his, his uh, defense attorney eric nelson i think largely did a, a very good job and of course he's the guy in court actually doing the job so i hate to be uh, come across yeah, like an Archer. armchair quarterback but um there were arguments to be made here that I think would have been much more effective that were not made. I mean, the critical period that really matters here is not the nine minutes and 29 seconds that they keep talking about because Floyd was alive for almost all of that. It's not until the last 90 seconds that any of the officers have a reason to believe that he might not be breathing or there might not be a a pulse the last 90 seconds before the paramedics show up. That's the, the real, um, sensitive point for the defense why was he still restraining him then and not providing cpr in that 90 seconds if i were on the jury that's the question i would want answered because up until that point floyd was still alive he wasn't dead yet and did anybody answer that did the defense answer that at all the defense raised facts that were relevant to answering that question but they never seemed to pull it together into Mm. a cohesive answer for the jury it's almost like they're, they see it, so they expect the jury will see it. But any yeah, of us who have conversations happen. on complicated topics, you know you have to build the narrative. You have to hand the jury a completed explanation. You can't expect them to do the work uh, to arrive at the view of events that you have. So you say that murder in the second degree, if he was, if they do find that he was committing a felony, then murder in the second degree is likely to happen. 
Yes, if they conclude that he committed the felony of third-degree assault under Minnesota law, then 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 felony murder is done. That's all they have to prove for felony murder. So I, uh, my gut would say that that's the way it's going to come down. If it comes down to that one question on on whether or not uh, you know that last ninety seconds uh, was answered for correctly, I, I just I think it's just too much emotion and and. Uh, and as you point out, not enough uh, answering of that question. I think he gets that. I mean, if it were me on the jury, I would have no hesitation in voting not guilty on this. I have more than sufficient reasonable doubt. But as an attorney with some expertise in this area, I, I perhaps see things differently than we could reasonably expect those jurors to see things. They're, so they're not legal wh- experts. Why would you vote not guilty? Because I don't think the use of force was unauthorized. I don't think it was unlawful. I think it might not have been trained, but that's different than being unlawful conduct. I think that was a reasonable use of force under the circumstances. I don't believe he was choking the life or crushing the life out of George Floyd. I don't think there's evidence of that. The only evidence of that is that Floyd ended up dying. But there are alternative explanations for Floyd's death that are consistent with it not having been caused by Jovan's knee including the 90% blockage of coronary arteries, the pathological hypertension, the enlarged heart, the fentanyl, the meth, the decision to fight police for 10 minutes, any of those things could have killed Floyd without Chauvin's knee having been a substantial contributing factor to Floyd's death. Okay, so murder in the third degree. Did they make this case? What were the strengths and weaknesses of that? Uh, but again, that all hinges on the use of force being unauthorized. And if you don't believe that Chauvin was killing Floyd with his knee, using excessive force with the knee, but merely holding him in place, waiting for paramedics to arrive, um, and you don't believe there was a causal link of death, you don't believe the knee killed him, you believe at least there's a reasonable doubt that those other factors, the heart disease, uh, the fentanyl, the meth, uh, the tumor, in Floyd, uh, that there's a reasonable doubt that those other things could have been the drivers of Floyd's death, not the knee, then it's not mm. third-degree murder either. Uh, and is the same to be said about manslaughter then? Yes, because manslaughter, the question is, was the use of force reckless? Did he recklessly create a risk of death? And oh, if you don't God. believe he was grinding him to death with his knee, then he wasn't doing that. Okay, back in just a second with more on the Chauvin murder trial, uh, what it means, what the jury must be going through right now, Maxine Waters and what she said, uh, the fact that a severed pig, uh, the head of a pig showed up on a defendant witness stoop. What does that mean? This is the Glenn Beck Program. So you uh, might think you're the fashionable, fashionable type, but uh, are you wearing Mike Lindell's My Slippers? Uh, right, right, right. You're really not in with the in group unless you're wearing slippers all the time. Uh, I've, I, I've talked about his sheets. They're incredible. His pillows. Let me tell you something. This is his, his slippers. I always hated when my dad wore slippers out. I hated it. I'm like, dad, put some shoes on. I'm just dropping you off or picking you up. Okay. 
I'm going to, I'm telling you, and I might use it as a punishment, um, for the kids. I mean, I, I'll wear them anywhere. Once the kids move out, I'll wear them everywhere. They are so comfortable. My slippers from Mike Lindell, they are both indoor and outdoor. Um, they have two layers of my pillow foam, a layer of impact gel. It is great. You can wear them all day. Right now, get 40% off my slippers. Log on to MyPillow.com, MyPillow.com. Click on New Radio Listener Specials and use the promo code BECK. 40% off my slippers, 800-966-3117. And 10% off your subscription to Blaze TV. If you go to BlazeTV.com slash Glenn, all you have to do is use the promo code Glenn. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Andrew Branca is uh, joining us. He is an attorney specializing in self-defense law, founder of lawofselfdefense.com, and uh, knows this subject quite, quite well. He's been watching the trial up in Minnesota. And, uh, Andrew, with the way you just explained just the requirements uh, to hit all of these charges, I just don't see the juror. I mean, I'm, I'm a guy, I almost died from fentanyl. I had surgery. They gave me fentanyl afterwards, and I swear to you, it almost killed me. It it just makes your breathing so shallow that you can. I mean, you just you just die. Um, he was on that. I don't know how much, but he was on fentanyl, which already puts you close to death. Then he was fighting and everything else. Even I would look at what uh, Chauvin did in the last 90 seconds, as you point out, and say, I I don't, why didn't he react differently? If he would have reacted differently, maybe, but it, it, without that question answered, I don't see anybody saying that he didn't commit this felony. I'm not. We may, it, have, I'm, we may have lost him here. Yeah, he's uh, okay. <laughs> I was. Just, I thought maybe my headphones went out. I'm sorry. Maybe for the he was delay just so pissed off at your question that he just yeah, hung maybe up in your that face. Could be. Now, uh, Stu, do you see them? Do you see them reacting any other way? Look, I no, I, I don't. Uh, honestly, I mean, one of the and, and I don't mean that in a like they just wanna just make sure this guy's. The, I think every American saw that and thought that was a, a horror show. This was one of the reasons why the if you look at the closing arguments, they went to over and over again common sense i think andrew's back with us here um but like yeah. they went to this hey. idea of like it's common sense like look look at what you saw on the video you know that that's not how you should have reacted in that situation and it right. seems like an it's something that's going to appeal to the emotions of the jury andrew are you back with us i am sorry about that that's great no problem so we're just saying i mean even as somebody who takes uh, a, a great stock in the fact that the guy was on fentanyl Uh, you know not healthy in the first place but on fentanyl and then fought with the police and everything else and was in the car before saying i can't breathe i can't breathe that's not claustrophobia that is fentanyl uh and even i can't bring myself i think uh to to look at that videotape in the last 90 seconds and say yeah he didn't do anything wrong that didn't do anything wrong yeah you know, well, just that fun. one thing. But that doesn't mean that I agree with second-degree murder. Well, first of all, the legal standard is not that Chauvin didn't do anything wrong. Chauvin could have done something wrong and still not be guilty of a crime. His, 
the requirement is that his conduct was reasonable under the circumstances, not that it was perfect. If he made imperfect decisions, that's not criminal. That's just being a human being. Um, so it's, it's possible if you ask Chauvin, I'm sure he'd say, well, I would do things differently the second time around, knowing that this mm-hmm. was an outcome. But in the mm-hmm. moment, uh, facing a very large, non-compliant suspect they'd just been fighting with moments ago, who, as far as he knew, at least until the last 90 seconds, was apparently was moving, was breathing, was still alive. Right. Uh, had no reason to think he was suddenly going to expire in the last 90 minutes before the paramedics showed up. They're dealing with a hostile, threatening crowd. Uh, there's radio chatter. There's road traffic. Right. Uh, this was a complex, dynamic situation. They weren't in uh, a hotel lobby by themselves Correct. dealing with George Floyd. They, it was a much more hectic situation. And all of that, that totality of the circumstances, has to be taken into account. And again, the question is not that Chauvin make perfect decisions. No one's required to make perfect decisions. The question is, did he make reasonable decisions under the totality of those circumstances? All right. When you uh, when I when I was a juror, uh, the the judges uh, directives at the end, uh, when he gives the jury instructions that you really kind of go by that when you go into the jury room, at least we did when when I was on a jury. Um, what did the, the judge say? And did, did, do you think he made anything easier or harder for this jury? Well, I think he left a, a real area of ambiguity that's critical to this case. And he did not clarify that for the jury. And I think that's going to be a real problem. And that ambiguity is this issue of causation. Uh, what does it mean for Chauvin to have caused Floyd's death? And the way causation normally comes up is very straightforward. Uh, If I threaten you with a gun and say, give me all your money, and you jump backwards in fear, and you jump into the path of a bus, I didn't literally physically kill you, but I caused your death. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Yes. You would not have jumped back, but for the fact that I was committing a crime. What I'm not responsible for in causation is things that you bring to the event that are not within my control. Uh, In this case, the real question is, did Chauvin cause Floyd's death when Floyd brought to that situation uh, a 90 percent blocked coronary artery, uh, enlarged heart, cancer, uh, uh, fentanyl addiction, meth levels? Uh, You know, Chauvin didn't create any of that. So is he responsible for that? The prosecution is saying yes. In effect, the prosecution is saying, hey, that's part of the package. We're not required to disprove those things as a cause of death. Uh, the defense is saying, literally, they said to the jury, you are required to disprove those things. And obviously, that makes a huge difference whether the prosecution is or is not required to disprove those other causes of death. And the judge did nothing to clarify that question for the jury. And I'm a legal expert, and I don't know what the jury's supposed to do. So if they because if they can't disprove them, then that's the reasonable doubt, right? For sure. If the prosecution is required to disprove those other things as a cause of death, then I think it's an easy acquittal. But I don't think anybody knows if that's what they're supposed to do. So you said yesterday after the uh, closing arguments, the the prosecution got up and you said they made things up uh distorted reality which you can't do you can't bring up new things 
in the closing argument. There's there are real rules uh, to closing arguments. What did they do that you found so egregious? So the biggest thing that the defense objected to was that Prosecutor Blackwell got up there and basically called the defense liars, basically said they're fabricating uh, their narrative for the jury. They told untruths throughout the their closing statement. And here's the thing. If you're a prosecutor, you're not allowed to tell the jury that the other side is lying. If you're a civil plaintiff, you are allowed to do that. And guess what? Jerry Blackwell, who was a prosecutor in this case, did that rebuttal at the end. He's not normally a prosecutor. He's a civil litigator who was brought into this case for political Mm. purposes. And he acted like a civil litigator is allowed to act. The other side's lying. As a prosecutor, you're not allowed to do that. That is prosecutorial misconduct. And that's why Nelson moved for a mistrial, which was denied, of course. But I think it's certainly grounds for a mistrial because he did it not once, not twice, but 20 times over the course of a 45-minute rebuttal. So on average, every two minutes, he was calling the defense liars. And that's so wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. When did did the objection come? Can you object in closing arguments? Nelson, you can. You you don't want to because it looks horrible and the judge doesn't like it. Uh, But Nelson objected at least three times during the closing. Uh, And the first time, the judge basically ignored him. The second time, he told... Blackwell stopped calling it a story, and he kept doing it. And then Nelson objected a third time, told him again to stop calling it a story, stop calling it a fabrication, and he kept doing it anyway. And so when it was finally done, when the jury was out of the room, the defense made a motion for a mistrial on that basis. The judge denied it, but it's certainly going to be a grounds for appeal. Okay, so so help me out on 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 this part of it. You know, Maxine Waters came in and said you should tear the city apart. One of the guys who was actually a defense witness came out uh, and and uh, testified on Chauvin's behalf. They just found a severed pig head on his doorstep. I know that, you know, the jury's not supposed to watch news or anything else, but I can guarantee you everybody in the family of all of those jurors are saying, wait, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, uh, honey. I mean, our family is in danger here. Are you aware of all of this stuff? I mean, how do you get a fair trial with this kind of stuff going on? What are the jurors going through right now? Right. Well, you, you can't get a fair trial under these circumstances. It's impossible. Uh, there ought not be a trial occurring right now. Uh, it ought to be continued, which the defense has made motions for from the beginning. There ought to be a change in venue, which the defense has made motions for from the beginning. But for anyone who doubts whether or not there could be a fair trial here, just reverse the races of the people involved. If this was a black defendant and there was a mob of KKK outside the courthouse, every day and threats of violence against the witnesses for this black defendant. Would we say that was a fair trial? Of course not. It would be outrageous. So to suggest that simply because the defendant here happens to be white, this is a fair process for him is ridiculous. What does the what does the sentence look like for him if he's found guilty? It's, It's the rest of his life in prison for all practical purposes. Does he stand a chance of survival in prison? Well, he'd be in isolation for the rest of his life. So for I, the rest of his life? That's cruel, unusual punishment, isn't it? I would, I would think so. Certainly the international courts consider 
isolated imprisonment to be a form of torture explicitly. Uh, but I think the longest sentence he's looking at is 40 years. So given his age, that's wow. effectively the rest of his life in prison. Plus, the prosecution is looking for an additional uh, aggravated sentencing on top of what the, the sentence normally carries, presumably because the crimes would have been committed while he was an officer of the law. Wow. So if you uh, if 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 this guy is found guilty on all three, he's looking at a minimum of how long? I believe it's 40 years. So it would be whatever the, the minimum sentences. Yeah. Well, no, I, that's the maximum he's facing. The, maximum. the minimum. I, I, I don't know what the sentencing range is, so I don't know what the judge's okay. discretion is in the case. I always assume if it's my client that they're, you know, they might get hit with the max. Uh, so that's always the risk we take into consideration. But I, I'm not sure what discretion the judge has. Frankly, uh, whatever legal discretion he might have, he may not have much political discretion. Um, and he oh, may yeah. not be interested in taking the heat that would come from giving this guy a lesser sentence than he has the legal right to give him. Isn't this the worst possible outcome of everything that we try to do in America with our justice system? I mean, this is well, horrible. Listen, it's a tragedy on all fronts. It's a tragedy that Floyd died. I'm sure everyone would would prefer that George Floyd was still alive with his family. It's the the whole thing is is a tragedy, uh, and we all wish it hadn't happened. Um, unfortunately, I don't think we're making things better uh, it, by the process that we're we're trying to resolve what happened. Thank you so much, uh, Andrew. By the way, if they come out today. That that's that's not good for him, right? If they come back quickly, I would think that's not good given the the, yeah. the dynamics around this case. Now, okay, thanks so much, Andrew. I appreciate it. God bless. We'll sure uh, thanks. Take care. You bet. We'll talk again. Um, Benjamin Franklin once pointed out that we all must indeed hang together, or most assuredly, we'll all hang separately. Our sponsor this half hour is AMAC. Seldom has that sentiment been truer than it is right now. So when you're looking for an advocacy group to join, it's pretty natural to think that you're, you know, you're going to want to join one that lines up with your own values. I uh, looked just yesterday. There is this um, uh, website where you can go. It's called secondvote.com to the number two ND secondvote.com. And you can find out what a score is from different country uh, companies before you involve yourself in them. AMAC has a perfect uh, conservative uh, score. The main competition against AMAC has a perfect score on the other side. It is. It's really clear. Meaning really the worst clear. possible score. Uh, yeah, the yeah right. the best score for the other side, or worst possible score for <laughs> us. Right. Uh, yeah. Amazing. AMAC AMAC has uh, been fighting the good fight, and you can become a member today. The benefits are great, but the cause is even greater. It's uh, the Association of Mature American Citizens dot us. It's AMAC dot us do it now amac better for you better for america amac.us slash beck tomorrow night on glenn tv the government is spending money at historic levels and our national debt is at historic highs will biden's so-called infrastructure deal push america over the edge glenn warns all signs point to a major economic disaster the end of private savings and private spending and the birth of a state-controlled digital dollar 
Watch Dollar Decimation. How Biden's spending spree could end our currency as we know it. Tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern at blazetv.com slash Glenn. Man, why does the left hate Andrew Yang so much? I mean, the guy is, I mean, the guy's for universal basic income. Uh, you know, it's, he's, uh, he's pretty far off the beaten path here. And they hate him. MSNBC, Joe Scarborough and Danny, uh, Danny Deutsch were uh, talking. He said, I mean, either of us could do a better job at running New York City than Andrew, Andrew Yang. No offense to Andrew Yang. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, Deutsch said we're doomed. New York City is doomed if it goes too far left. And they described Yang as an extreme candidate. Ah, have you seen who's in the office now of mayor of New York City? I mean, the guy who loves communism? (laughs) That's not extreme, but Yang is? I mean, Yang is obviously more sane than Bill de Blasio. That doesn't make him conservative or sane, but it does make him more sane and more conservative than Bill de Blasio. Yeah, Yeah, and they're running. I mean, the New York Daily News ran an op-ed, the New York Times. uh, Before before running for mayor, Andrew Yang never bothered voting in a mayoral election. He left Manhattan to spend the worst of the pandemic in his second home in the Hudson Valley. Sounds crazy. Oh, you you mean like everyone who had the opportunity did and even the poor in new york were like if i had a home i would be anywhere but here oh yeah that's a that's a bad black mark on him bad black mark it's unbelievable if you don't agree 100 percent, you are a danger to the left this is the glenn Beck program